Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready? <laughs> Welcome to Food for Thought, Ooh. a podcast gap fest where in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, identity, culture, Ooh. what we like to read, and who we like to read. Food for Thought, what's the icing on your cakes? Mm. Semen. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you. Uh, I mean, wow. that hole would taste so much better if there was frosting on it. I mean, no, but like, isn't the feeling when someone is like fucking you and then pulls out and comes on your ass and it, just the feeling of the wet semen dropping on you is just like... I'm not into that. I'm really not. I'm a very like, kind of like, I hate like messes and stuff. So I'm kind of like... That's why I swallow. Oh, yeah. Like cum does not turn me I just on. want it everywhere. Oh, I want to take I, a cum bath. Oh my God. I, I also no. am, again, like Joe. I love it. I want it everywhere. No, no. I think it's really romantic when they come inside you. Aww. I mean, I do too. I want I it in there too. Because then I don't have to clean There's it. No <laughs> your your butthole is just a semen pocket. Yeah. When a top is like, <laughs> where do you want me to come? Yeah. When a top is like, where do you want me to come? I legitimately don't know how to answer the question because I'm just like, where don't I want you to come? <laughs> like, everywhere. I, I hate to say this, but I agree with Dennis. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys seen yes. that, um, that uh, lube that is looks exactly yes, like cum? Yes, I have. They're it's really it realistic. Board. I was honestly wow. very into it's it. It's really fun. Really? Has anyone yeah. tried it? You guys like it? I've, I've I interacted with it. I went to like the, the sex store down the street and Ooh. I was like playing <laughs> like, with it. It's really I fun. Also, I, I, uh, you know, <laughs> Water-based lube is often hard because it, it dissipates so right, quickly, right. but there's this really good white water-based lube made by Boy Butter that does look a lot like cum. Wow. Feels amazing. Doesn't stain your sheets. Staying power. And it looks like if you, it looks like you're coming the whole time you're wow. We're wow. not being paid for this either. We're Why not you being paid for this. The white lube. Why you gotta advertise the white lube? Why you gotta advertise the white lube, <laughs> Joe? That's huh? the white I am a privilege. white lube supremacist. <laughs> well, sounds like you. Anyway, On that, wow. I am Tommy Teebs, Pico, an indigenous American poet, screenwriter, and I'm a recent uh, adopter of this strain of weed called Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, converts. You Alex will just got so excited. She, Alex is she, this dude and was like, oh, fuck, I just remembered I'm sober again. Fully taking a vape pit in the back. I just turned just, around and Alex was like, I'm not. We Alex. thought it was a humidifier in the room. Actually, it's just Alex's vape coming out of her mouth. <laughs> Disgusting. Um, I, I'm Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, and uh, producer Alex, retract my life. Mm, <laughs> actually, oh my though. Actually, actually, you would actually, benefit from that. Yeah, yeah. I'm Dennis Norris II, and I'm a reader and a writer and a former figure skater. And as of today, my new nickname for my pussy is my coochie cat. Oh. New? New. Oh, Tommy's, new, new, Tommy's new, new, new. face is, is all of our faces right now. <laughs> That's okay. true. So. I didn't let any of y'all near my coochie cat anyway. Oh. Well, I'm Fran. Uh, I'm a writer, I'm an editor, and it's Sagittarius season, so I'm extremely scared of Tommy and Dennis right yes. now. Yes. Their powers are the of our powers. It oh, is. Yes. Woo. The fire is here. Okay. <laughs> 
Uh, who wants to get the menu this week? Today, we go back to a food for thought classic called Gay Bar or Steakhouse. Mm. For our main discussion, we search for a safe space. And for dessert, we take it slow. Mm. Take it away. <clears throat> I'm feeling a little peckish. <laughs> I think we should start the top of this show the way any good time should, with a little tease, our uproarious appetizer segment, Amuse Boosh. Uh-huh. And to amuse our booshes, Joe is not going to be disgusting. Uh, <laughs> it is impossible that, for me to yeah, not be disgusting. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I am a physically repulsive. We are playing oh. a classic no. <laughs> game no. called Gay true. Bar so or not Steakhouse. A, not a punchline. I am a walking loathing. punch line yes yeah. <laughs> punch me oh, uh, God. with your fist in my butt um, <laughs> see then you go around and say some <laughs> shit like that and i'm like yeah you actually if are the, discussing listen the beloved if you're listening we're uh, on time right now so this is a game wherein i give the name of a thing and you'll have to guess if that thing is a steakhouse or a gay bar okay uh, both have a lot of meat in them. Pretty up, self-explanatory. <laughs> pretty. First up, we have Stacy's. We're gonna start off kind of innocuous. Stacy's. Okay. I feel like Stacy's is a steakhouse. It's my bad. I think Stacy's is a gay bar where everyone has to wear um, like diner waitress outfits. <laughs> oh my god! That's beautiful. Goes. I also think it's a gay bar it with is. a very specific dress code. It it is indeed a gay bar. Oh. It's a it's a gay bar. Is it yes. isn't it here? No, uh, Palm Springs. I don't remember. It's Hang in on. Palm Springs. It's in Palm Springs. That's wow. right. Stacy is oh. in Palm Springs. All right. Next up, the cockpit. The cockpit. I bet you that's a steakhouse because it's too on the nose to be a gay bar. I mean, have you met gays? Gays right. are very I mean, on the nose. Yeah, they're, they're, they're on the nose. They're on the mouth. They're on the butt. The other just, day, I went anywhere. to a gay bar and it was called the Gay Hole. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not gay hole that. come semen bar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to open up a gay bar called the Coochie Cat. No, um, no. no. <laughs> I think I think cockpit is a gay bar. It has to be a gay bar. It has to be, to be a gay, gay bar. bar. It's it a gay is bar. a steakhouse in Saint Lucia. Wow, no, that's a trick question. Lucia. All right, all right. What about the white swallow? Oh, Lord. Oh, that, my God. I actually know the answer to it's a gay bar. <laughs> Damn, friend. And it's no, it actually helped cultivate um, uh, a lot of Los Angeles gay culture here or San Francisco. San Francisco. San Francisco. San Francisco yeah. Gay, gay, uh-huh, gay culture. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It was like, a, it was like a, it was legendary. Yeah, it was, it's since closed, mm-hmm. but it is indeed a legendary San Francisco gay bar. I feel like when Teebs drinks White Claw, he engages in the White Swallow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This I do. Th- I feel like you engage in the White Swallow quite oh, often. Oh, <laughs> all the time. All the time. This is slightly fudged and unsubstantiated queer history, but I've, I've heard before <laughs> that... Um, you know, back in the day before, like when gay bars were illegal, that uh-huh. places like the White Swallow were code for places that were safe for queer people because if it had a color and an animal in the bar, it was like a signal to people. Oh, wow. that. So you'll see a lot. Oh, wow. There were a lot of bars of yore that had like they were this, these are not real, but like the red fox, or the green the, pig, yeah, yeah, or, or, some, oink. or maybe it was only birds. I should look it up. The but great anyway, puma. Okay, okay, okay. I love this one. What about the meat bazaar? Oh, I hope it's a gay bar. That's what I'm going to say. I am, and I am there. And if they I, don't serve burgers, I'm going to be mad. What, that's really if imagine it's like actually a vegan gay bar. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say steakhouse. 
Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll double down on that. It is a that. steakhouse in Las Vegas. You can go to the meat. I wish it were called the Bazaar Meat. Yeah. That oh. would be my game oh, really? name. <laughs> um, ooh. What about the back door? I know the answer to this one. <laughs> no! Because I actually helped open it in Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, wow. Um, I really? Was working, I was working for the local newspaper when I was uh, there at the time, and I helped create a lot of press um, for their launch. Well, it's I think there are a few other gay bars called The Back Door, but the one in Bloomington is really good if you've never been. It's great. It's got to be. Yeah. It is also a steakhouse. Oh! <laughs> no way! No. Trick question. It is. It's a steakhouse wow. in Ohio, Dennis, oh, of all places. Oh, my um, God. And that, that, the steakhouse is the first thing um, that came up actually what about in between um that's not very on the nose maybe steakhouse I think in- that's a vegan steakhouse. <laughs> a vegan steakhouse? They only serve Impossible Burgers? Oh, Corey Booker's Steakhouse. Oh my god ew <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know uh, just to be a contrarian I'm gonna say it's a gay bar uh, and uh, it's a Gay bar exclusively for uh, log cabin Republicans. It is. Ooh. It is a gay bar. If wow. it's it for, is a gay bar. And if it's the for log between. cabin Republicans, that means they only play Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also true. Uh, yeah, well, it. maybe in Tatra Call. She is like the log cabin Republican mascot. Oh, she I just so is. is. What about the beef and bone? The beef yes. and bone, and it's a, it's an N by the way. Beef um, and bone. That is neither a steakhouse nor a gay bar. It's the title of my memoir. <laughs> Okay, so fuck off. Uh, um, my lawyers will be in touch. I'm going to go with gay bar because I like bone as a verb. Well, I'm going to say aspirationally gay bar. <laughs> it is fully a steakhouse. The beef and bone. The beef and bone. Mm, I'm very I mad we about could turn this. it into a gay bar. If you yeah, wanted. we definitely could. Mm-hmm. Let's Good do friends. This. Good friends, steakhouse or gay bar? That is the most boring gay bar I've ever heard of in my entire life. <laughs> it's like the like Pete Buttigieg bar. of gay bars. What did you yeah. say, Dennis? I feel, yeah, I feel like it's a gay bar for yeah, very just boring, basic gays. That's Dennis, that. I've literally been there with you. It's in New Orleans. We went together. <laughs> we did? Yes, we went to Good Friends. <laughs> My God. Oh my God! Which one you, was it? Do you exist in the world? <laughs> I mean, first of all, we all know the answer to that is no. And second, how drunk was I? You were wasted, but I was too. The only reason I remember is because I had been before. Is that the one where we were on? Like we were way like up on the second floor outside on that. Yeah, patio I, I believe and, so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was scared I was going to fall over the railing. Yeah, love that. Yeah, love that. I'm always scared I'm going to jump off the railing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I was scared Fran was going to push me over the railing. <laughs> but, you know, more likely, <laughs> yeah, more see. likely. Yeah, yeah. Next up, the edge. Ooh, it's Joe's favorite practice, is what that is. Um, I do like edging. You like edging? Do. I do like edging. I wish I could edge. I don't have the I time. Can't. I can't. Yeah, that's, that's, but it feels yeah, so luxurious in that way. You know, you're really giving yourself to it. I would like. That's your white I, privilege I, speaking. I, I, I also, you know, I'm a more of a dribbler than a shooter when it comes to coming. Uh, wow. Except for when I edge. Wow. Oh, girl. TMI. Can I TMI? I am a shooter Every time, it's crazy. Every that time, if I'm sleeping me. with someone new, they're like, "Are you okay?" Because not only am I shooting, but like it's like a lot. Like I could have come, I could have come like that day, and it will still. I do come a so lot, much. but it just it doesn't go dribbler. very far. Yeah, I, I think wow. it's because my urethra is very thin, <laughs> and I think that that the pre- there's physics to that. You're it's, a physicist it's all the or something, right? That I've wow, done. Right. even <laughs> even Fran's sperm is highly aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I just. Just, just, just to point that out. Uh, yes! 
That's so funny. Oh my god. This is fucking disgusting. It is so gross. The edge is uh both. Oh, okay. It is a steakhouse in Utah of all places. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, and also a gay bar here, right here in LA, apparently. Although oh. I've, I've never heard of the edge, but no. apparently oh. it does it does exist. Let's here. go after this. Uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> How about Captain Ratty? R-A-T-T-Y. Oh, I really <laughs> hope Captain that's a gay bar. Ratty. That is a gay bar uh, co-owned by Thomas Teeps People. <laughs> <laughs> Captain so Ratty, you my have to be above six three to get inside. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's oh your God. that's a, your uh, your third um, uh, alter ego. Yeah, <laughs> it's Captain Ratty, ego Teebs, and oh, yeah. Captain Ratty. Do you remember in Parks and Rec when um, when uh, Ron Swanson had his like jazz persona yeah. with the glasses? Yeah, yeah. 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 you're Captain Ratty. That's my Captain Ratty. My Captain Ratty. Captain Ratty is fully a steakhouse. That's not a very appetizing name for a steakhouse. How is that place uh, so I kind of wish it was a gay bar for Same. No. Same. I'm much more willing to put that kind of ratty meat in my mouth than, oh, than at a steak house. I'm just saying. <laughs> Producer Alex has gone fully astral. <laughs> just just talking about sucking rat cock over here. <laughs> Ew, <what? laughs> Okay. I can't. Well, okay. What about swallow at the hollow? <laughs> <laughs> Love rhyme. I'm a poet. I hope to God that that is a steakhouse. Um, my new pussy name is the hollow. No, I mean no. I'm, I'm empty inside. <laughs> you no. matters. I, I mean, you truly are. Swallow at the hollow. No, I need that. Uh, no. I need that to be a. It <clears throat> I think your pussy name is Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, she loves to sleep. She loves to sleep. <laughs> Sleepy Hollow and a lot of headless horsemen come through there. Oh, what does that oh, mean? Oh, they don't even know. But it actually, no, because grinders always have their, has their heads cut always off. Head, that's Only right, they're always headless. True, true, headless horsemen, yeah. that's good. And sometimes they say they're a horse hung, so. Oh, yeah. Headless horse hung? Headless horse hung? Horse hung? Swallow at the Hollow is a steakhouse. Oh, oh nice. Wow. Love it. Is it in Sleepy Hollow? I don't. It's, it's in, in Baltimore. Baltimore. It is in oh, Baltimore. Wow. Yeah. Uh huh. Where everything is great. Last up. Okay. Last up. Cut. Uncut. It's got to be both. <laughs> there should be. be I hope it's a steakhouse and next bar. Next door is a gay bar called Uncut. Yeah. Owned that by the same people. Just, uh, just owned by the same. You know, I, 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 I to the left of it. My, yeah. Where uh, Un- the first cut. tattoo artist that I got um, linked up to in Brooklyn had um, uh, a tattoo parlor called Goose, and next door was oh, a bar yeah. called Duck Duck. Duck Duck. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that. I like that. That's a little twee, but it's cute. Around the corner from where I used to live, where a dentist took over my room. Because I was off the Montrose uh, yes. stop on the L train. Yep. Yes. Yep, yep, cut, yep, yep. cut, cut, cut. I think it's both. I think it's both. I think it's both. It's both. It has to be both. Um, do we like cut men or uncut men? Um, uh, I'm a narcissist, so uncut. Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's bad to have a preference. I, I, yeah, I love, I love I dick. Don't, I don't yeah. have a, yeah, I just love dick. So yeah. it doesn't really uh, Like stigma matter. around uncut dicks is probably racist. It's weird. Is there a stigma? I think so. Yeah, I think for sure. sure. I mean, when I think about like, lat- like specifically about like Latinx, like uncut cock, that's oh. like such a like an archetype yeah. in like grinder culture. Oh yeah. yeah, I guess that's true. I think I prefer uncut because they're just easier to get off. Uh, if you know how to use it, if you know how to use it, oh my them. god, if you true. don't know how to use it, just it can be learning there. If you are it's scary, if, if, if that first uncut dick is in your face right now, do not yank down when you're sucking it. Oh yeah, I mean yank down. Yeah, you can pull down, but you don't gentle, gentle, and see how it goes. Cut is a steakhouse. 
It is fully a steakhouse. Yeah, if I know. There's got to be a gay bar out Somewhere. there. Let's Google Somewhere. it. Somewhere. Posting. Cut gay if bar. If not, maybe we start a, a venture. Mm-hmm. Food for thought. No, I don't think Food there is a, a cut gay bar. No. Oh, wow. Just a steakhouse. Listen, Enjoy. Y'all, coming soon to those streets. Thank you for playing. Cha-ching! Get out your coin purses, binges. It's time for Penny for Your Thoughts. <laughs> I really hate that. I hate that so much. Which is exactly why I love to do it. Mm, and the Penny for Your Thoughts, if you don't know, is our advice segment where, you know, a bunch of deeply unqualified people. I mean, Joe is allegedly a doctor. I am a doctor, but also kind. a fucking but, idiot. But like, right, kind yeah. of doctor. I'm so dumb. <laughs> like, but it's, doctor. It's fine. We, <laughs> just because, hashtag butt explosion once. Oh. <laughs> well, anyways, time to answer some questions. First up, hi thoughts. I've recently listened to your episode about marriage with guest speaker Meredith Toulousan. That's from the last season. It was a really good episode. You guys should mm-hmm. go listen to it. Um, I love her. I think Joe brought up the term homonormative. I found the concept very interesting. Who coined the term? How did it come to be? What acts or practices are considered homonormative? Coming from a strict Arab Muslim background, I never thought the word homo would have norm appended to it during my lifetime. Um, I love your podcast. Listening to you guys is my escape and regular reminder that it certainly does get better. It does not. It does not. So much worse. Homonormativity. Let's let's start with like a very simple definition. Do you want to take this one, Joseph? Yeah, sure. I mean, basically, homonormativity is talking about assimilationist homos, right? So it's more about like norm being the culture Mm -hmm. and then the homo being assimilating into that. So what that means is sort of like upper middle class institutions, like marriage, you know, having sort of relationships that are very tightly mere heterosexual relationships, Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of monogamous relationships, very long term relationships, not polyamorous, kind of Mm -hmm. being a nuclear family, which is a very deeply heterosexual and I might add capitalist institution. So kind of aspiring to that as the end goal for queerness. As well as uh, like uh, on that uh, like homosexual couples that um, take their privilege and kind of use it to traverse you know uh, obstacles in ways that um, other queer couples cannot. Mm. Right? Like it's kind of like an ignorance of your own privilege and what exists within that you know uh, homosexual relationship and the ways that you kind of are able to take advantage of certain opportunities. For sure. And I think that, you know, the question, one of the things that's been an interesting tension in uh, gay rights in the last 20, 30 years is that, like, we've had expansion of rights such as the right to marriage, the right to uh, be in the military. And that has sort of been driven by a normative gay Mm-hmm. person, you know, largely white, upper middle class. and But those rights then, ex- once they're extended, um, do have an impact for people, for example, um, who, uh, you know, are married to an, a person who's an immigrant and they are able to, through the right to marry, get access to, you know, American citizenship for people who need it. So it's this really kind of like complicated situation where like as long as institutions like marriage exist, I think we as homosexuals got to argue that we should have access to those institutions in the same way that straight people is but it's more about the aspiration right Mm -hmm. you know homonormativity is like your imagination stops at gay marriage (laughs) like that's Mm -hmm. it like that is the extent of possibility (laughs) whereas you know a lot 
lot of queer theorists say, no, queerness is actually, you know, be married if you want to be married, but it's not about accepting that that's the only possibility or the mm-hmm. only option. It's about like queerness breaking institutions and mm-hmm. expanding the notion of family and having big kinship families and caring for one another in that way and imagining other institutions than the ones that are handed to us by culture and society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah, I feel like homonormativity is just like queer gentrification or something. <laughs> it literally is exactly that. I mean, yes. outside of marriage, like other kind of um, side effects of homonormativity <laughs> are like sex shaming, you know, For like sure. not not you as a, as a gay or queer person being like, mm, we don't have to be sexual in order to be gay. You know right. what I mean? Like there's so much like internalized homophobia in statements like that. Mm-hmm. Um, misogyny. So like an, a, a concrete maleness to homonormativity yep. or yep. like trying to cramp um like women's creativity or women's liberty anti-transness exactly i mean like you know you you asked who the 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 writer asked who founded the term it was michael warner in 1991 but you know adrian rich has the notion of compulsory um heterosexuality right right notion of compulsory heterosexuality create a body of work about um like what it means in terms of like lesbians and Radical feminism, specifically yeah. trans-inclusionary, trans-inclusionary radical feminism that, you know, lies within that kind of, like, homonormative existence. Um, it's really honestly... I don't want to say it's like gay people who aren't queer, but it's it's gay people. Mm, but it's gay people who aren't queer. No, well, <laughs> I think that is an over-centralization yes, yeah. of it. It's, yes. it's to say gay people who feel like other queer people's existence is somehow detractive of theirs. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? Or who even just refuse to acknowledge um, other possibilities. The other, the other, the other forms of existence and, and, and sort of feel like the movement stops at, at marriage equality. Yeah. Exactly. It's the same way that, you know, like conservative people, like weaponize their religion and say like I can't enjoy my religion if you're married you know what I right. mean it's so mm-hmm. bonkers that like those you know the, these kind of different structures eat each other and that but like it really is not that dissimilar to like the way bigots operate yeah I mean yeah. It's, it's respectability politics right yeah like yeah. it's okay it's if like you're people gay. trying to get to some kind of legitimacy where like mm. institutional le- <clears throat> legitimacy <clears throat> excuse me that um didn't have us in mind when it was uh, when the institution was created right. and it's like why can't we come up with our own, you know? Yeah, exactly. And this is not to say... Um, just disclaimer that if you want to be married or are married that you're all like immediately just super super homonormative that's not what we're saying like like the one booing is the one who most wants to be married on this show I hate gay marriage because I'm not gay married yes (laughs) I would love to be married one day I think but it's just the idea that your sensibility sort of stops at this one thing versus um you know, acknowledging and still continuing to fight for the fact that there are so many people in the world who have so many different, like, like versions of of queerness and all of them need to be empowered and and celebrated. I'm curious to what your and I know we're spending a lot of time on this question, but I'm curious as to what your opinions are on overcoming homonormativity because, you know, we know the demographics, we've seen the stats on our podcast and we have a predominantly male audience. Mm-hmm. Um we have a lot of gays that listen to the audience that might be that might feel polarized or might feel like they're doing something wrong by listening to us talk about like what homonormativity means. Do y'all have advice about like how you overcame this yourselves because we all come from this journey in some way. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all, you know, incubated in 
like heterosexual home, like heteronormative culture, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, grew up very much in a family that valued uh, commitment, monogamy, marriage over essentially anything. And it was very nuclear in its family structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for me, I didn't realize it was a prison until I realized it was a prison, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. You know, it felt yeah. like st- I was striving for that thing. But then as I was going through my life and I sort of failed to meet that metric, and then I had mm-hmm. shame about that. And so it was kind of like mm-hmm. this, pro- this iterative process of undoing at least the shame like I was allowed to be sad about the sad things that happened to me but then like feeling guilty for failing to meet this like aspirational goal of perfect monogamy and marriage that by the way straight people don't fucking do anyway they all cheat on each fucking other they're they're like trash hot messes they're a mess you know and so they're they're, that is a lie the notion of like heteronormativity is a lie even to straight people like no one meets that goal so yeah they may not be cognizant of it but that's true I think for me um, because I also, similarly to Joe, I grew up in a very, like, nuclear um, family, family love marriage that was, like, really central. And I wanted that for a long time. And I would say that for the most part, I still do want to be married. But it was all about exposure. Like, I, when I was in high school at the same time that I was realizing that I was gay and coming out, that was when I was watching Queer as Folk on TV mm-hmm. and the central character, Brian Kinney. I mean, it was it's a very cis-white gay show. But the character... Um, Brian Kinney, who's kind of like the axis around which the world revolves, is super, super kind of anti-homonormativity. And he's very outspoken about it. They don't use that language, but that's really how he is. And so um, kind of like having that exposure very early in my understanding of myself was really formative to me because I always understood um like pretty much as soon as I understood that I was gay, I also understood that being gay meant that I didn't have to live my life in the confines within which I grew up. Mm. That was really What about really you, cool. Fran? I mean, read. Read a book. Read a book. Uh, I think that always helps. My other thing is that um, give in to your impulses. Because yeah. it's just yeah. like a very queer thing to do. Like we, we there, there's hegemonic structures that like help us that 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 um teach us to feel like our impulses are incorrect and like yeah. you just have to give into the things that bring you joy that yeah. bring you pleasure that um that feel taboo or feel off um yeah you, you have to give into those impulses it's just it's just the queer thing to do at yeah. the very least question that like right like question why they're taboo question why the things that feel like rules are rules um question what those rules are in place to do what about you tbz um, nothing too much to add that hasn't already been said. I mean, you know, stay curious, check in with yourself, mm. um, stay vigilant. Um, don't think of institutions as a place of arrival, but rather as a place of like, as a place to collect and then keep moving forward. You know, yeah. I think, um, a part of it, you know, like a, a part of talk therapy is like, you say the thing and you see the subtext and you turn the subtext into text and you actually yep. start working on the issue and not like, um, uh, and not one of the symptoms or whatever. And I right. think if, you know, the issue is compulsive, uh, compulsory, uh, uh, heterosexual, uh, uh, um, heterosocialism. <laughs> uh, that it's just like <laughs> the only type of socialism of... I hate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's like just be be aware of it and be curious. You know, if yeah. it's, I mean, the, you also like what you like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not here to tell you to like something you don't like. If you want to get married or whatever, we already talked about that. But it's like, um, if you somehow feel that your um, your quote unquote failure. To 
to meet that institution gives you some kind of shame, that's mm. when I'm like, no, 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 no. I think you just have to check in and, and feel that. Like Joe said, like figure out how to undo the shame or figure out how yeah. to confront the shame or figure out at least how to see it. Yeah. And, so you know yeah. it's there and it's not like this unseen force that's exerting uh, influence over your life. Mm. Mm. That's so true. Shame is so much easier to tackle when you name it as such. Yeah. This message comes from iHeartRadio sponsor, Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should really think about getting a quote from Mercury because Californians save an average of $677 with Mercury. It's quick and easy, and in just a few minutes, you might find you could save a lot of money on your auto and home insurance. Plus, Mercury was named one of America's best insurance companies by Insure.com four years in a row. Low rates, big discounts, great insurance. Go to mercuryinsurance.com today to get a quote. It's crazy how much we have to pay for outdated, impersonal health care. And even crazier that we all just accept it. It's time to face facts. Healthcare is backwards. Luckily, there's Forward, a new approach to primary care that's surprisingly personal and refreshingly straightforward. Forward never makes you feel like just another patient. Backed by top-rated doctors and the latest tech, Forward gives you access to personalized care whenever you need it. Using in-depth genetic analysis and real-time blood work, Forward's top-rated doctors provide you with in-depth insights to better understand your genetics, mental, and physical health. They then create custom, easy-to-understand plans to help guide you to achieving long-term health. With Forward, you get unlimited in-person visits with your doctor and access to care anytime via the Forward app, all for one flat monthly fee. It's time to stop accepting backwards health care and start moving your health forward. Visit GoForward.com today to learn more. That's GoForward.com. Mmm, it's time we get to the meat of our conversation. The thought process, spelled T-H-O-T. T-H-O-T. And Fran's got some meat for us. That's right. So we (laughs) were doing a 2.0 of a conversation about safe spaces that Dennis and I actually did in Provincetown a a while ago. So fun. We were drunk and don't remember any of the conversation. True. But I do remember that it was profound. It was was very good. There there was a lot of applause. Yeah. 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 That's what I feel like when I get high, to be honest with you. I don't really remember it, but it was profound. Definitely. A lot of applause. But one of the resolutions that came from that conversation was that Safe spaces, or the word safe space, the term, is like, by and large, a buzzword more than it ever is a practice. Mm -hmm. You know, who gets Mm -hmm. to decide what makes a safe space? Who even gets to kind of, like, create the parameters and the checkboxes of, like, who feels safe? And then then the question of safe for whom? Because more often than not, you can't make a a space safe for one community – and another at the same time if those communities are at odds, you know, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but to launch it off, I'm curious, when you think of a safe space, what is the first place that comes to mind for you personally? I find that it's very difficult for me to, you know, uh, be intimate with people. Um, it's better when the relationship is theoretical. And I think because of that, and also I like being alone, but with a suggestion that somebody else might be there. Uh, the page, to be honest with you. Like, literally the page. is like the place that, like, nobody else is going to see it. I'm completely in my own head, my own devices. I'm not, I'm, I've done so much work in my life to actively not have the editor voice mm-hmm. when I'm, like, doing my drafts or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I feel very, like, Life might be constricting, but I can do anything I want in this place. Wow. Mm-hmm. And how does that relate to like when you actually share it publicly? Right. Right. Well, then I have to let go of it because it's not mine anymore. Wow. Oh, and wow, then wow, is wow, it wow. no longer safe? 
I don't think so. No, because yeah. uh, then hella people have interpretations that you didn't even like exactly. mean, right. and then they and then can... they want to talk to you about yeah. it, slide into your DMs about it. But honestly, let them because right. everyone's reading is valid if it's theirs. Yeah, right. And you always have another blank page. I have another blank have page. Another that's blank the page. thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think yeah, of yeah. like a safe space as like some place that's not necessarily an arrival but a progression for sure. And so it it keeps changing. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mine is definitely, I, I, um, everyone here knows that I am a commitment, uh, ad- addict. Fiend. Um, and mine are very small moments. I feel very, very safe, uh, in, a, in the kitchen cooking for uh, someone I love. With uh, a knife in your hand. With a knife. I feel most safe with a knife in my <laughs> hand. Yeah, <laughs> Julianning fucking, uh, red peppers. Uh, and I feel, uh, I mean, it's just so stupid, but it's so true. When I'm cuddling with a boyfriend, I feel just incredibly Ugh, physically disgusting. held and safe and 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 present. Yeah. I will say though You're that disgusting. I found that recently as well. <gasps> Tommy, where I slept all night with somebody like in their arms, and it was like, <gasps> and I just woke up eight hours later, and I was like, what the yeah. literal fuck is my going body, on with my biology right now? My body does the thing where I'll wake up in the middle of the night just enough. Because like, that's your sleep apnea. To pull someone into me and like just to feel their body and feel how pleasurable that feels and then back mm. asleep. I really oh, envy that. God. I can't remember the last time that I felt safe with another man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like literally fair. not joking. I, like, I can't remember if I've ever really. I mean, mm, that's not true. But mm, not a man, you know. My my, I mean, my safe space is my weighted blanket. So, ooh, do they work? They do work. Like mm. I sleep so much better now that I have one. Actually, like mm. I sleep much deeper, and it just sort of feels like I have some. Which is like there are some men in my life. You know, it's nice, but we're not together like that. So, like, it's nice to like just have that feeling, and I kind of prefer it to just a man because I can control it. It's my blanket. Mm. Like, it's kind of great. <laughs> this is the difference between a Pisces and a Sagittarius. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, it's actually... Per- 100%. No, um, I, I was going to say, I was also going to say that my safe space is actually the page and I was going to sort of say all the same things that Tommy's going to say and I feel that way, but so instead of repeating that, I'll say that one of the other major safe spaces in my life um, was um, on, on the ice, like as a figure skater, being mm. in this place where I... that was That was how I began to really understand and know and feel like I had control over my entire body and my physicality. So like that was a thing. Um, It became a part of my life at a time where I did not feel necessarily super safe in my home because of my emerging core identity. I did not feel safe at all in my school. So that was like a safe space. There was a community of people that I knew loved me for who I was. And I just got to explore and kind of build up self-esteem at a time when I otherwise didn't have very high self-esteem. Um, so that w- that was and still is a really safe space. I remember actually on the day that my dad died, mm. um, I was in Cleveland and I live, my family's house is like two blocks from the skating rink that I trained at. And so when I got back to the house um, from being at the hospital, I just got in the car and went to the skating rink and I skated for like two hours. Wow. Mm. Dennis, I mean, I, I think this is getting to one of the fundamental conflicts in safe spaces like figure skating of course is like super fucked up in its race and class politics right it's a mess it's a mess and yet it's a place that offered you as an emerging queer person solace solace and Mm. and and a a safe space can you talk a little bit about that 
I mean, I can just say, so figure skating, it it is a really, really like strange place. And also like around the way that they deal with sexuality between men and women and the age difference in pair. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of messed up stuff that goes on on behind the scenes. So I'll just say that with sexual assault and all kinds of like weird things. Um, But at the same time, theoretically it's supposed to be a sport that really celebrates the individual and sell like it looks at you who you are as a person what your abilities are and it's like all about trying to build your outside presentation like how you're going to present yourself based on your strengths and your talents and what you have to offer um but and so in that way it's kind of one of the first places where a lot of people learn kind of like what's good about them like what Mm. things Mm. what strengths and talents they bring to the table but then it's really interesting because the whole idea is that you're shaping yourself in that way to put Mm. yourself out in front of a panel of judges to be judged on something and you have no control over that it's a very subjective thing there's all kinds of biases that go into that so it is a really strange um sort of cognitive dissonance to be a person who's aware of those things and be involved in the sport. So not mm. necessarily always as a kid, but as an adult. So maybe it's like um, a place yeah. that it's like, it, it offers a safety because it allows you to lose yourself. Yeah. All of y'all are yeah. actually touching on, I mean, we should like start to like work to define what it is like a safe space is, but all of y'all are, are touching on kind of the exact same thing in very mm-hmm. different ways. It's like all of y'all felt your safe space when you could come into your own and be the best at what it is that you do with you is figure mm-hmm. skating with you. It's how you write on the page and so we, with you it's how you're partnered to someone and how you love someone Ooh. that's so beautiful oh my god wow. <laughs> what about you Fran uh I, you know, when I first thought, I was like, oh my God, this podcast is a safe space. But then sometimes Joe farts in the studio. <laughs> I, not and, sometimes. And, and, I, and I just Joe don't. Joe is not the only Alex, farter, though, at this right. Alex Alex heard me table. through Producer Alex heard me through the wall this morning. That's, <laughs> that does not make me feel safe. Okay? I heard you, too, when I was in my room with the door closed. <laughs> I heard you from Koreatown. <laughs> <laughs> For me, for me, it's always like um, when I'm having dinner with friends. Um, yeah. Similar mm. to you, Joe. Like I, it is, I feel like my best um, when I'm taking care of others um, and cooking for them, um, and being a host for them, and making sure that, that you know they don't have to create any additional context or work or emotional mm-hmm. labor to like just be there yeah. in that space. Um, and so, yeah, I think about intimate places with my friends when we're making dinner is is the need for safe spaces is the fact that the world is generally unsafe for queer people the assumption that leads us to need safe spaces well that's a funny thing right because like it's like we shouldn't even like need or require safe spaces Mm -hmm. it's just that you know by default everything is unsafe for like marginalized groups but in a perfect world like we wouldn't need these things um but yeah i mean i don't know for me i think I I get really like fucked up about like the idea of a safe space because more often than not I really do feel like the people or rather the entities that are calling themselves sp- safe spaces really aren't yeah. for like a lot of of uh-huh. queer people uh-huh. when I'm thinking about queer safe spaces <clears throat> I went to a party recently um in LA that was like I won't name the party but like their whole MO was like this is like for queer people of color and like trans and non-binary folks and blah 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 and then I got there and it's a bunch of like white people like in a, at a circuit party like wearing harnesses and I was like this is not what you promised it's not yeah. advertised yeah. I was like wow. yeah I was like this is and I was like I thought this was supposed to be a safe space and you know I'm being shady but that's actually dangerous and irresponsible yeah. and I think about <laughs> how the nomenclature of safe space like in like industry safe spaces and 
entity safe space mm-hmm. can get so dangerous mm. because yes. you're luring in people and promising something that they're not going to get and potentially bringing them into potential Listen, harm. Speak on it. This speak is on also it. just like I remember after my first book tour and I was going, it was like 2016. So it was like a lot of election stuff. And there were places I remember going like Boston, for example, when it did all of this lip service about being like this place and this place and this place safe for all races, safe for like da da da. Uh-huh. And it was literally only white people. Right. It, they and were still just, so yeah. segregated. Exactly. And it's like, <clears> that's <throat> just not the tea. You know what it's I mean? A mess. It's and, a it, mess. And, the, and, the, and the flip side of all of this is just like, can we make safe spaces? Right. Like, well, as well, entities, safe like, from is that- what? Exactly. Right. Because is it like, okay, safe from physical harm? Is it safe from conflict? Is it safe mm-hmm. from cha- somebody Micro challenging you? Right. You know, right. like, because I think like in, in defining what it is that you want to be safe from, then you can start to build a, 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 a rhetoric around right. what the space is supposed yeah. to do. And also, when you think about this, like at a brand level, like at a corporate, like capitalistic level, when you think about brands that are like, oh, there are brands out there or people out there that are like, oh, we are safe for everyone. Mm-hmm. But when you say... Oh, we welcome in like queer and trans people, but then you're also like, we welcome in like right wing nut jobs. Like everyone right, has a voice right. here. It's like you can't like bring like a fox in and like a chicken into the same house and be like, we're safe here. Right, 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 you know right, what right. I mean? Well, like I, that's just like not how it works. I think the the question that I feel like you're getting to, Fran, which is something I think about a lot, is that when when we do think about safe spaces, is it actually possible for someone who for some like. Is it possible for the safe space to be made by the people who aren't the ones who need to be protected in that safe space? Like, that's what I'm always thinking about. Mm. So, like, when, like, I, I was at a, on a writing residency earlier this year, and um, there were some tweets about how unsafe of a space it was for me as a person of color and as a queer person and as a queer person of color, because I feel like those are in some ways sort of three related but right. independent things. Right. And I was... I was one of only two people of color there for the entire month. Um, my hair was like touched unconsensually twice by mm. two different white women. Mm. Um, and this is, these are just a few of the, the like really intense microaggressions that I experienced Burn the it entire down, time. Burn it down. <laughs> and I finally went to the people who run this residency and I was like, I, I was like, I responded to a call for applicants, essentially really, really advertising yourself as a safe space for people of color. That was the specific grant that I like applied for to be here all these things are happening you need to change my space but also like I have feedback and I have thoughts about how you can make sure that this isn't a dangerous space Mm. like that you're not just bringing more people of color and more queer people into this space and leaving them like to sort of sink or swim in yeah, this just environment. Yeah, just like your website or your brochure right. or whatever. Right, Where they're supposed to be able to get their work done. And it was so interesting because they weren't interested in hearing it. And I felt like they didn't know how much they didn't know. And I was just like, I'm talking to straight white people right now in a particular state. Like, I just feel like maybe I should have never trusted that in the same way. Like, whereas if I had gone to like a residency that was specifically for people of color or for queer people and those do exist, maybe that would have been different. (laughs) Maybe. Let's do that thing where like we pull in like actionables and like bullet points to like what we're talking about. So like we talked about how like when you are a safe space, you're not safe for everyone, period. That's just like a paradox. That's not how it works. You are safe for a a marginalized group of some kind. So like that's something to think about. Something that you're naming Mm -hmm. is that like, or maybe you can help me work through this, but it's like, um, you can't say a, you're a safe space, but do zero 
actual labor right, to right, make sure that right. everyone convening <laughs> right. this space is actually making sure that it's safe. Like those people should have gone through like race sensitivity training or something yeah. like very one oh one like that. Or, or like people should just, they should just hire people that aren't shitty people that I mean, aren't white. Yeah. Hello. And like, like intention matters. And that's great. Have an intention to not actively like, I don't know, like, yeah. Okay. So you don't want us to die. Great. Wonderful. Right, right, right. You mm-hmm. want us to have a, a an experience of being able to be open and, and creative and all that kind of stuff. But it's like intentionally takes you so far without action. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I have, a, I have a question though. And this might be, you know, my horrible white Marxism popping its head out. Uh, I'm afraid you're, you're saying, and I agree with you that, you know, safe spaces, just because you're safe for one marginalized group doesn't mean you're safe for another necessarily. But isn't there a libertary politics, a, a libertary possibility where the process of becoming a quote unquote safe space means that like you're dealing with oppression and power in that space, which applies then to race, to gender, to class, to sexuality. It's more about how you deal with power and difference as opposed to like, I've had training on how to talk to people of color. That feels very like corporate to me, right? It's like right. I've had training on how to deal with gay people. I've had, no, it's like, how do we actually deal? How do we acknowledge and deal with power in the space? And all of those things are across vectors of power, race, class, gender, sexuality, etc. And so if a space builds itself with a liberatory politic from the ground up, I wonder if it's not possible to have that possibility of like not just being safe for X group at the expense of Y, but actually being in practice from the beginning, a space that deals with power as a definition of the space itself. Let's concretize this though. What, did yeah. the, what are the actionables? Like what would you like prescribe to people that are trying to be better safe spaces? Like, I mean, liberatory politic, what does that look like? There are people that are doing this type of work and it often fails, but you know, um, there are people who have spaces that are defined by like transformative justice. For example, any conflict in the space is dealt with in an XYZ way. Anyone mm-hmm. who comes into the organizing or political space, anyone who comes into the school or art collective knows that like if something happens, if there's conflict between people, we have this public process. That's just how the space is built. Mm-hmm. It is a, a public accountability. Uh, and, and so that is sort of in the ethos of the space as it begins, right? And these conversations aren't things that are retroactive, like what you're saying. Exactly. Dan. You like have where, the space and then you call it safe. Exactly. Where, yeah. where you're like, no, or where you're responding to something fucked up, right? Mm. Where the only time you have the conversation is because a white woman touch your hair dad whereas no as opposed to that we have conversations proactively about what we want the space to look like and not just like when shitty things happen right right so i think there are there are people trying to do this but like one of the things that fucks me up is that like some of these spaces these activist spaces these artivist spaces then it comes out it's like oh it's like a space for xyz people and it finds out like women are getting raped in that space and it's being covered up right and so Mm -hmm. it's like it's like people are trying but at the same time like these same power dynamics keep fucking everything up. Well, it's hard to get outside of a power dynamic when you're living inside of a power dynamic. And we all are because of capitalism, right? And also, if if you're talking about somebody who's organizing the space and putting it together or or, or, um, advertising it as such, I imagine if you have the 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 politic the, the clout to create a space then you have some power right so how do you interrogate your own <laughs> yep. as you're yes. creating this space for people that is the yep, tea oh the my cloud. god that's pres- that is solution based yeah, yeah, love yeah, that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. I, I, or, 
or how do you give money and then nothing else exactly you know what i mean like if you want to write a writer's residency that's a safe space mm-hmm. give a shit ton of money hire p- queer people of color to mm-hmm. run the thing from the ground up mm-hmm. and you do absolutely fucking nothing you mm-hmm. fucking nothing. disappear Just from the space the entirely it. yep. and it's not a fucking vanity project for your like whatever the fuck it is you know Ooh, that's it really the it's like it's like complex. that's okay. it though, right because if you if you are seeking to create a safe space your first question should be why am i equipped to do this and why yes. do i want to yeah. mm. right because if it is as you're saying joe like this kind of like self uh, you know self-congratulatory or like resume building opportunity mm-hmm. you are probably doing it for the wrong reasons or you might be executing it and not really thinking about the wellness of others so yeah. much as you yeah. are thinking about what it looks like on a piece of paper what it yeah. feels like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I have a, what it looks like on the website so i was wondering if you have any thoughts about like the co-option of safer spaces like when for example a queer nightlife space comes up that's about a specific group of folk who might not feel safe at like you were talking about fran at like a circuit party that has nothing but white folk in it mm-hmm. right so it's like a, a party that exists in its ethos to be safer for x group and then it's lit and it's really good and the buzz gets out and then it's 70 percent white people and all of those same microaggressions that were happening you know in all white nightlife spaces is now happening in this safer space like how how do we talk about that how do we deal with is it fair to say like white people fucking stop coming to x party right i've always thought about this because when i think about like the you know the queer nightlife parties that are for specifically for people of color i was like what it would what would this is a terrible solution but like what would it look like for the poster to be like if you are white don't come without people of color you know Mm, what i mean like if Mm. you fuck with if you have like friend groups that are filled with people of color like you're probably in the right space like you yeah. are allied to the people joining the space and unless you're like a really fucked up person I would really hope you're not tokenizing your one brown friend to get into a party mm, yeah. like that right. would be pretty transparent pretty fast or using it as a fetish right oh, exactly right. because that's when it gets bad I mean yeah. like gentrification Ugh. happens to like all nightlife but like when you have like white guy coming alone because he like wants to hook up with like or worse of color. with well, fi- his five white friends who exactly. all want to hook up with. yeah because oh. it's probably the best party that that right. city has to offer yeah, yeah, like yeah. more often yeah. than not yeah I like the idea because it reminds me of a kind of best practices by people who um, are uh, who who talk about Hawaii Mm. and talk about like Mm -hmm. don't go unless a native Hawaiian invites you Mm. wow Uh, I've heard about that yeah and it's like something that kind of happens in like activists and academic circles and stuff like that and um, so I just like have never thought of it as a place to go but then I've recently become friends with a few native Hawaiians and they were like had invited me out and I was like yeah, I, I saw, and I was like oh wait I'm being invited by a native because yeah. they wanted me to come it was like mm-hmm. Manakea stuff and like uh, mm-hmm. activist stuff and I was like oh okay because I, I think that's that is a potential solution mm-hmm. it's like yeah. don't come unless somebody in the community invites mm-hmm. you it's yes. so weird I mean uh, this is Joe I am <laughs> white mm-hmm. um, I stopped going to Poppy Juice uh, I'm friends with Adam Rhodes I've been friends with him since forever I was going to that party um, I had an ex who lived around the corner from um, uh, One Last Shag the mm-hmm. bar that it used to be at like when it very first started and it was actually not even like a thing there was no cover it was just like some nights that bar would be a poppy juice party and they would be djing and for context poppy juice is a as a party in new york dedicated yep. to queer people of color queer people of color and so i would just often be in that space with you know my friends who live in that neighborhood who were largely black mm-hmm. uh, i stopped going when all the stuff around the white people infiltrating the space happened i just don't feel good being in that space as a mm-hmm. white person no matter how many people of color i go with like mm-hmm. My boyfriend is going this weekend. I'm not going with him. I, I think it's fine for that for me to like. That's not a huge fucking sacrifice, you know. Right, what I mean? right, it's yeah, a lit right, party, yeah. but like, they, oh, there are a lot of people who don't feel good about white people there, and it's like fine that I don't go. I, you know, yeah. it feels like that's me yeah. participating and making it a safer space, and that's chill. Um, yeah. 
Right. It's like sometimes you just got to let people have their thing. Yeah. You yeah. got to not go to Hawaii. Yeah. You like got to not sometimes go to the you party. Just, right. Right. Sometimes. I mean, like, uh, you know, if if it's not for you, it doesn't have to be for you. Right. Exactly. And you, the, and it's you, just about stepping just back. By, by being virtue of being alive does not necessarily give you access to everything. You don't have to be everywhere all the time. And if there are a gajillion parties that are made for you, sometimes you're allowed to, like, acknowledge that someone needs something made for not you. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Um, this so is like laddering back actually to things that we were talking about earlier and, and how, you know, there are so many spaces that are like, this is a safe space. And then you're like, no, it's not. But like quick anecdote, like I do a lot of like consulting gigs and like, you know, talks with like ER employee resource groups at like, you know, other companies. And there was this one, I won't name the company, but there was this one gig that I did do where I, the whole reason i was brought into the space was to talk about safe spaces period mm-hmm. they were like uh, what does a safe space look like can it be created whatever talk to our employees about like you know what it, how it's how you start to be a good coworker. Mm-hmm. and i was very excited about it actually because i was kind of i fucked with the company i was very excited about it and right before this programming starts the the guy who was orchestrating it kind of pulls me aside and he was like Oh yeah. Um. By the way, like I talked to HR ahead of time, and like we're really excited that you're here, but like you can't mention the podcast at all. And I was like, and I was like, and I was like, wait. I was like, what? Wait. And I was like, the podcast doesn't have much to do with what I would say in the talk. Like, right. If anything, you know, it's just like my body of work, yeah. right? And I was just like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah. I mean, we like really excited to have you here, but like we flew like you know your whole thing by HR, and like you know it's just not work appropriate. And I was like, wow. And I was like, wow. wait, wait. So you, person trying to create a safe space environment, have just now made me feel unsafe <laughs> because my identity is not work appropriate. Yeah. I was just like, right. what? That's literally that, yeah. the opposite of what HR that's should crazy. do. Yeah, like yeah, HR's job insane. is to create safe spaces for like marginalized yeah. employees, and then you, no, HR. No, no. I, I mean, I think that's the thing that I think about a lot, Fran, because um, when you're queer, your sex and sexuality is on the surface of your skin, mm-hmm. and you, you're body is deemed inappropriate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. in ways that make you you like having a job in some places it's fucking legal to get fired mm-hmm. for being queer right mm-hmm. and so like yes part of being a safer space means that you, the fact of your sex and sexuality being a part of your visible body is not going to harm you in the way that it has mm-hmm. for so long and does queer people uh all the time and i think a big part of that for me is not so much rendering it's safe for us, but doing the queer theory thing where we acknowledge that everyone's sex and sexuality is present on their body. Right. It's just, we only right. see queerness because right. it differs from the norm. Right. So it's like, acknowledging that well first of all straight people have a sexuality and that second of all straight people do abusive fucking horrible fucking terrible goddamn shit all the time Cis straight mm-hmm. people. And, and and the fact that they don't you know it's all kind of in hidden and it's a private like a lot of the me too stuff that's coming up now like silence or not being sexual at work is not the solution it doesn't it does not a safe space right. sp- a safe space make when fucking news anchors have buttons on their desk that locks women in their goddamn offices so they can be sexually assaulted right mm. so uh, it, you know, acknowledging how unsafe the cis heteropatriarchy is mm-hmm. it, by definition, it is a violent ideology way to structure society and way to live uh, for for everybody. Uh, and so me- rendering that visible to me, I think, is a huge part of making any space safer. Yeah. I, mm. Also, like, I think of, in terms of media and in terms of stuff that's kind of created to um, uh, 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 represent our communities in mm-hmm. art or, or television or movies or music or whatever, um, there was a show ca- that came out called Chambers that was a Netflix show that I was really mm-hmm. excited to watch because...
because the main character is an indigenous woman and there were like a lot of indigenous actors mm-hmm. and it was like it took place in Arizona and part of it was on the reservation. And I remember um, talking about it with some of my DNA friends because the, the main character is supposed to be Navajo and they were just like, there were a lot of taboo things that people showed on that show that you just wouldn't if you were actually Oh, wow. DNA. If you were actually mm-hmm. Navajo, there were like mm-hmm. there were certain imagery, there were certain uses of 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 coyotes and some other stuff. And she just like I watched it, and my family we were like talking to each other. And we we're just like I can't believe they put this on TV. This is not something that we talk about. And of course, it turned out that nobody in the room was Dine. Mm-hmm. One of them was uh one of the writers, one of the staff writers was Native, and I think that person had a Dine partner, if I'm not mistaken, but like had no other connection to. And 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 then like it turned out that there was only one Native director. Uh, of one of the episodes right. and the showrunner is not a native person yeah. and she was like doing this interview with um, Entertainment Weekly where she was talking about like they're like oh what was the impetus behind the show it's a very particular type of show and she was like well um, well, I knew I wanted it to be a teenage girl. I knew I wanted her to be going through these things that I call like 4 a.m. thoughts, which are just like about like permanency in life and where your soul goes after death, like da da da. And like EW kind of doubled down and was like, well, I mean, this is a native character living in Arizona. What about that? And she was like, well, you know, I don't think Arizona is like really represented in film or in, in television that often. So I wanted to do that. And then she was She's also avoiding like, it at all costs. Right. And then, yeah. then, then she was like, eh, but like, you know, I don't see this as being like about a Native American girl. I see this about being a girl who happens to be Native American. That kind of that. Bullshit. But the thing is, the thing is, the thing is. Liberal if, bullshit. If I could accept that if that person was from that community. Yeah. Right. And they wanted to make like a large, I could accept that. But the fact that this was not a person in the community no, or a Native person at all, I was like, how do you know what it means to be Native if you're not Native? Yeah. How can right. you prescribe indigeneity or non-indigeneity onto a character if you don't understand what that means? Yeah, yeah, if you don't yeah, have the lived crazy. experience of that? That's I crazy. mean, again, so it's like, it's not a judgment. It's just a question that I have. You know, if you're, <laughs> if you're creating something with a kind of intention in mind... Right. You know, how how do you make sure that the fruition of that is what you intended? But the thing is, I don't think this person intended for it to be a native story at all. It was right. Like, That's... It, it was, she was adamant about it being a, a girl and adamant about her being teenage and her going through some kind of thing about her bo- like body, right. whatever. But it seemed that her her indigeneity was incidental. Her specific mm-hmm. Diné uh, 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 indigeneity was incidental and so that's yeah. what it felt like in the show it seems like what you're talking about Tommy is you know we're talking about safer spaces and what you're talking about is the fact that culture itself is a space and culture makers are making space when they're doing that and that culture itself can do harm and violence and culture itself can address harm and violence and so for you know all of you young thoughts out there who are making work think about making your work your poems your whatever making that a safer space as well you know making your friend groups a safer space like we are the politics that we live you know and and what what does conflict look like in your friend groups you know are Mm -hmm. you making your relationship a safe a safer space for your friends with how you deal with issues that arise that may have to do with power differences between you like race class or gender while also or, being able to mm-hmm. gather them like exactly. a braid you know what exactly I mean? sometimes it actually some people need to be gathered yeah uh you know and so i think these things feel really big they feel like it's about your workplace or about art that you're making but it's so about how we treat each other on the individual on the daily and think about every one of your relationships being a space that you carry around with you constantly and how do we try to act as though all of those spaces are precious and to make them safer as best we can I'm feeling like I'm full, but I could fit one more thing inside of me. Dennis knows how I feel. Whoop, whoop. Dennis, what we got to, for dessert today? 
Okay, so today for dessert, I want to talk to you guys about the Netflix sitcom that I'm in love with and obsessed with. It's fucking hilarious. It's called One Day at a Time. Has anybody watched it or is it just me? It came out like years ago. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is. It literally, wait, what time, what year did it come out? It was like probably 2017, maybe? It's been around for a while and I, um, I actually didn't watch it until, like, I'm not super into family oriented sitcoms, so it just like wasn't on my radar until it actually got canceled earlier this year by Netflix and there was such an outcry and I was like wait like I need to check out this show so One Day at a Time is a Netflix remake of um, this like originally this uh, this this sitcom like by Norman Lear, Norman Lear. Yeah, from yeah. like 1975 which was like a white family at that time um, it's a Cuban American family the, it's a single mom named Penelope who's a, a war vet and she has a teenage daughter who's like maybe 14, 15 um, in the first season who like st- has a burgeoning queer identity. And then she has a younger son and her mother lives with them as well. And her mother's played by the glorious and legendary Rita Moreno. Yes. Incredibly, incredibly amazing performance from her. And so the show, is, first of all, the show's incredibly funny. Like the main actress, Justine Machado, is incredibly talented. She's fucking hilarious. The writing is amazing. And um, also the kids are like really incredible. But what I also love about it is that it's a great example of how you can do comedy and do sort of like more socially aware, more like support just comedy that's supportive of like justice because they're also able to sort of make fun of certain things about our culture as it is right now. But they're Mm. still doing a great job. Like they've had essay like episodes where (sighs) – Um, like she kind of deals with her teenage son's like burgeoning toxic masculinity and the way that he deals with women Hmm. and they have incredible episodes that deal with homophobia and homophobia in the Latinx community. Um, when the father sort of, when the daughter comes out to her father who comes back Mm -hmm. in an episode. So it's just a really, um, wonderful, like I was going to say network. It's a really wonderful show. Um, and the first three episodes are still on Netflix, so people should go check it out. And but it, it got was, canceled? For the it first got seasons. canceled. But the, sorry, the first three seasons are still on Netflix, though. Um, but it did get canceled. But then... What? Tell us, D. Pop TV I don't picked know her. it up. So yeah. Pop TV is a Canadian network. It's and amazing. Schitt's Creek is awesome. Yes, I love that it gave us, show. It gave us Schitt's Creek. Dan Levy. So uh, my <laughs> third husband. He's going to be my third husband. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's been picked up um, by Pop TV. Apparently, the dates for the fourth season have been released, but I or like tentative dates, but I'm not quite sure what they are. Um, but things are in progress and they're moving, so the show is still available and um, it's great. And also, sorry, one last thing that I forgot. It deals with um, mental health and mental health in Latinx community because the main character the mom has some issues with ptsd Mm. from being in the war and it deals with that in a really incredible um way and there's not a whole lot of conversation out there often about like mental health maintenance right in communities of color and the episode Uh and conversation around that is really really incredible and it's wonderful to get that in a comedy because there's this thing that comedy does which is kind of like it allows it it provides an access point Mm -hmm. for having these kinds of conversations when they would otherwise be maybe too dramatic or too uncomfortable or something like that it kind of this is what i do in my poetry i I start off with jokes and then i'm like genocide <laughs> but it's the truth. It's the freaking truth. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds so great. I'm actually going to watch it. Bookmarked. 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 <laughs> great. Bookmarked. So, four years from now, you'll come back to me and find me. <laughs> no, we're like, not yes, you, baby. It. We're not you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. 
This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our new home at iHeartRadio. Our producer is very high right now, Alexandra De Palma. <laughs> our production manager is very high right now, Elizabeth D. And our, social, and our social media manager is very high right now, Christina Tucker. <laughs> Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Dennis goes back to the nonprofit industrial complex. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me do it. Don't make me go back. Oh. I'm Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me at Hey Teebs, H E Y T E B S, on all relevant social media. I am Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. I am Dennis Norris II, and you can find me on Twitter at the Earl Denden, T H E E A R L D E N D E N. And I'm Fran, the legend. <laughs> and you can find me at Fran Squish Co on any social media. Legendary, you want. baby. Legendary. Iconic. Find us on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read or Gay Sluts Horad, however you want to read that. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod, where each week we pin some questions at the top of our page to continue the discussion of this week's main topic. Sign up for a newsletter to see a list of everything we're reading and some extra delectable content Ooh. at Food for Thought Podcast. Com and finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dick pics to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that is food, the number four in thoughts spelled how? T-H-O-T. Uh, Honestly, it's been so long since we've gotten dick pics. Get back in there. Yeah, get back yeah. In. You yeah. can leave me out. I'm good. I've Bye. actually gone. I'm good. <laughs> no, me too. My DMs are half Garfield memes and half dick pics. So <laughs> I need more. I need more. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 